Genesis 16, we're going to do a 15, no, I'm not going to do a 15-minute sermon. That's actually a lie. It's not, I'm not going to do it. I, I won't have the ability to do it. So I don't want to create a false sense of expectation. It's probably going to be a 20 to 25-minute sermon, but even that's a miracle. If you uh, know me in any way, if you're visiting a church in the city, you are about to probably witness the first thing that has ever taken place at this church in 12 and a half years, and that is me preaching for less than 30 minutes. So I'm going to do my utmost for that to be the case. So let's trust the Lord will do amazing things. Father, thank you already for the incredible things that you have done. Thank you for the, the powerful um, amazing encounter of your presence in, in our worship time, the, 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 the songs, the, the, the words of those songs, that we were able to declare your lordship and your majesty, not only over our lives, Lord, but over this church and over the, over the city and nations. And thank you for this beautiful story that we've just heard, Lord God, of of your faithfulness and your goodness, as difficult as it was at times. Thank you that your hand was upon them and continues to be upon um, Philip and Ashley and Talia, Lord God. And we, we celebrate with them all that you are leading them into, Father. And we thank you for this chance to, to delve into your word, Lord God, and to be encouraged uh, by your word. Thank you for this faith journey that you have us on, Heavenly Father. And, and I pray this morning, Lord God, that we would we would continue to, to have our ear inclined to your voice and our eye um, fixed and focused on you, Lord Jesus. We are just desperate to, to, to learn and to be changed and to be transformed, Lord God, um, for you to speak into our hearts, for you to continue to speak into our hearts this morning, Lord Jesus. And so we thank you for this time in, in Jesus' wonderful name. Uh, one of the things I, Debs and I love about this nation and we've grown to love is how um, at times wonderfully inappropriate parents are in celebrating their kids' successes, especially when it comes to things like school assemblies and performances that kids do. You guys have all, uh, I'm sure, either been a child and, and enjoyed the moment of performing in front of your families or those with kids know exactly what this is like. And we experienced this for the first time about 12 and a half years ago when our girls went to their first winter assembly at the school that they were at. You know, the, 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 the 30 or so kids from each classroom nervously walking into the auditorium. And as they come into the room, they, they're eagerly looking to catch the eye of their parent to, to know that their parent has seen them. And the parents just completely unashamedly standing up and making themselves as big as possible until their child is able to see them. You know, you just literally look across the room and there's parents doing this and, and look at me, sweetie, look at me, sweetie. And, and, and if one of the, 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 the kids were to do a solo, you, you actually know who the, the parents were right away because the parents are like, you know, that's my child, that's my child. And there's high fives going on around, uh, everyone sitting around them. I mean, you know, South Africans by comparison are just so much more starchy and stoic and, and formal in that regard. And we've embraced this wonderful exuberance as, as Americans. Now that we are citizens, we've embraced this exuberance. And I, I realized this kind of had come full circle a few weeks ago when we went to Peoria to, to celebrate Hannah being selected for the All-State Choir. And um, it wasn't 30 kids, but it was 130 kids. And it wasn't, you know, maybe 60 parents, but it was thousands of parents packed into this auditorium, this basketball arena, actually. And, um, but the same thing was taking place. You know, the moment we walked into this massive arena, Debs and I were, were looking at the sea of faces, like, where is Hannah? Where is Hannah? Hannah, Hannah uh, was texting. These days you can use cell phones. And, and she was texting us, where 
where are you? And Debbie was texting Hannah, where, where are you? And, and I was standing there waving at the sea of faces, hoping that she would see us in some way. And uh, for those who know me, you know how much that fits in with my personality. And, uh, but I looked around and there were hundreds of dads just doing the same thing, just waving aimlessly at the sea of faces. And, but what is so interesting, what I found is as soon as you have that connection with your child, as soon as you see them and as soon as they see you, it just brings such a sense of rest and such a sense of like, okay, we've connected and we're able to kind of sit down and enjoy the concert. And I want you to think for a moment of the time that you were that child. I want you to put yourself in that child's uh, uh, shoes, walking into that auditorium, trying to catch the eye of their parents. And for those who have kids, I want you to think about how important it actually is for you to know that your child has been seen by you. And that's something of what we're going to look in and, and discover as we look at Genesis chapter 16 this morning. So very quickly, we, we're doing the series through Genesis 12 through 22, Promise, Believing in a Faithful God. And we've learned two main things so far. We've learned about the faithfulness of God. God is incredibly faithful. And that's what gives us the ability to have faith. Our faith is rooted in the absolute faithfulness of God. God is not concerned about the, the quantity of our faith, how much faith we have. He's not concerned about the, the quality of our faith, how consistent our faith is. What concerns God is the object of our faith. Is our faith centered and placed in the person of Jesus Christ? So we've learned about God's faithfulness. And the second thing we've learned, we've also learned about how closeness and intimacy with God is actually the ultimate uh, purpose of any faith journey. The faith journey, the, the, the purpose of, for God taking us on the faith journey is not that we would get, be blessed. And we are certainly blessed, but it is actually closeness and nearness with God. The black family have been blessed amazingly with an incredible daughter. But I know that part of the story, part of their testimony, I know this to be true, is they learnt that greater intimacy with the person of Jesus Christ through this whole journey. That's the ultimate purpose of any faith journey. And so we're going to look at both of those things in, our, in, the, in, in, the, in the account of Genesis 16 today, but we're going to learn one thing extra. The fact that because God sees me and because God sees you, Psalm 121 says that God watches over us now and he watches over us forever. Because God sees me and because God sees you, because I know I have been seen by God, I know that I can trust him. And so with that in mind, let's jump right into Genesis chapter 16. I'm going to read um, most of the passage, uh, maybe leaving out a few things here and there for the sake of time. But we're going to learn about four people, four characters in this story. An exploited slave, a barren woman. I was going to say a foolish man, but that doesn't really sound so good. And it doesn't really emphasize how, how foolish Abraham was. So I'm going to say a stupid man. And then finally, a mysterious friend. Four characters. Let's read from verse 1. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So after Abraham, Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew that she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarah, uh, then Sarah said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. 
I put my servants in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. To which Abraham answered, your servant is in your hands. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarah mistreated Hagar, and so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that was beside the road to Shur, which is on the way to Egypt. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. And the angel said, I will so, and the angel added, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. Let's drop down to verse 12. Uh, in that time, God tells her to name the child Ishmael. She gave him this name. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. And this is why the well was called Beer Lahar Roy. It is, still near, it is still there between these two cities, Kadesh and, and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave him the name Ishmael to, to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar born, bore him Ishmael. First character we're going to look at quickly is an exploited slave. Verse 1 of, this, of the account starts, Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. So just quickly to make sure we understand the context, four times between Genesis 12 and Genesis 16, God had promised that he was going to bless Abram with offspring. And he said to them, your offspring are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky and as numerous and as bountiful as the dust on the earth. That's how many children you're going to have. But in verse 3, we learn that Abram had been waiting for 10 years for child number one to appear, and there was no there was no hope. It seemed like it was not going to be possible. And that's why it starts. Now, Sarah, Abram, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. Often a, a statement like this, and there's numerous statements like this in the Bible, often the very next kind of term that comes after this is, but God. Sarah hadn't borne Abraham any children, but God. And that's kind of what we are anticipating and, and hoping for. An example of this is found in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, 2, and 3. Tell Paul writes, and he says to us, he says, you are, you are dead in your sins. And he says, you are, you are condemned under the wrath of God. And you are in bondage to, to Satan and in bondage to the world and, and, and in bondage to sin. It's almost what Paul is saying is that we are as spiritually dead as Sarah is barren. And then verse 3 of Ephesians chapter 2 is this incredible statement, but... God, because of his great love and mercy for us, has made us alive in Jesus. But unfortunately, this isn't the case in Hebrews chapter 16, verse 1. And so there's not a but God, but rather there's a but Sarah had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. And I think there's an important lesson for us to learn, and it's simply this, that when we are waiting on God for his promises to be fulfilled, when we are trusting for God to come through and to fulfill the things that he's promised over us, we must be very careful not to lose sight of God's faithfulness. Because when we start to lose sight of God's faithfulness, but Sarah, or but Steve, or but Mark, or but Jesse starts to replace but God. 
the opportunity for God to, to jump in. And despite all that God had done for Sarah, despite all that God had, had said and done and spoken over this incredible family, uh, she was convinced, Sarah was absolutely convinced that God was physically and, and uh, was opposing them in every single way. Look at verse 2. The Lord has kept me from having children. And so this was her plan. She was said, go, uh, uh, Abram, and sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps, or maybe this will work. Perhaps it'll work this way. I can build a family through her. I just want to say personally that uh, um, not necessarily because this, this, the preaching has been of any certain quality, but, but the, the messages that I've been preparing week in and week out have personally challenged me like no other series before. Uh, the challenge of standing up here and sharing God's word with you is that I know that I'm going to be tested on the very things that I'm saying. And I can honestly say, I mean, I could literally tell you uh, 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 incident after incident of the personal challenges that I'm facing through learning about Abraham's faith journey. Uh, and one thing I want to just bring to, 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 to light is the reality that you and I, as a, fa- as a family of God, as church in the city, are trusting God for a building. We announced that a few weeks ago. And as we announce that, I hope that some of the things that we're learning through this, through this journey, through this preaching series, I hope that we are applying to, to the journey that we are on as a faith family to trust for a building. The very fact that it is a journey is a challenge at times, isn't it? You know, I announced, we announced as an eldership team a few weeks ago that we are trusting God for a building. And I literally actually got, an, got frustrated with God last week because nothing has happened yet. It's been weeks, and I'm literally like, God, why aren't you coming through for us? And he reminded me that we're on a faith journey. And there are times when I've actually found myself even annoyed with God because we haven't seen the fulfillment of the promise, and God's reminded me that actually, even when we get the building, if the building becomes more important than the Lord, we've missed the point of the faith journey. I don't want us to walk into a building as a church family and be more consumed with our own self-importance than losing sight on the goodness of God. And the fact that at times I've been challenged to even consider what, what Sarah is considering here, perhaps this might work. Perhaps we can do it this way, or perhaps we can do it that way. And I want to say, if ever you or I start to ask the question, perhaps this would work, or perhaps that would work, we're starting to lose sight of the faithfulness of God. And so Sarah suggests to Abraham that she sleeps with Hagar. And just to say that this was, this might be surprising in our context, but this was common. This was legal. This was socially acceptable in the day. And, and this translation, the NIV, sometimes is, is somewhat actually dilutes the reality of what is going on. When we see the word maidservant, we often think of a, someone who cooks and cleans in the house. But Hagar was not Sarah's maidservant. Hagar was Sarah's slave. Hagar was Sarah's possession. Hagar was Sarah's property. And she could do with Hagar as she pleased. And any ch- children that Hagar would bear would, would be Sarah's property as well. And that's why this, at times, actually is quite a shocking story. Because what happens, and we don't have time to look at it, but, but, but Hagar... And Abraham end up sleeping together, and Hagar conceives a child. And that's when things start to get particularly ugly. Hagar has something for the first time she's never had. She's, had, she's got something of status in the community. And she, because of that, she starts to despise her mistress. 
And Sarah is threatened by all of this, and she starts to get angry with Abram and blames him when, in fact, she was the one who started this all. And she demands that, that Abram send her away. And what Abram says, look in verse 6, is probably the most shocking thing of all. He says, your servant is in your hands. Basically, she's your property. Do with her as you please. And verse 6 tells us exactly what Sarah decides to do with Hagar. Hagar Sarah mistreated Hagar. Sarah dealt harshly with Hagar. Now, in fact, if you studied that, and I was doing some study this week on on this, the, the, the term that is being used here is exactly the same phrase that is used to describe how the Egyptian slave masters drove the 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 Israelites in the Exodus story. And so what we can say here is that Sarah mercilessly beat Hagar. And eventually she runs away. We're going to come back to Hagar's story a little bit. Just a couple brief comments about a barren woman, the barren woman and the stupid man. Now, I've chosen the phrase barren woman cautiously, but also intentionally. And I want to say the phrase barren woman is not a phrasing that I'm particularly comfortable with using, especially in our modern culture, because I don't ever believe that a woman's inability to not have, or inability to have children should ever define her, her success or her identity as a woman in herself. And what I'm trying to say, though, by choosing the phrase a barren woman is actually helping us identify the reality that this culture Place the, the, the value that this culture placed on childbearing. This culture placed a value on childbearing, and that's why she was considered to be a, a barren woman. But we have to understand that there is, there is no culture that is without its own definition of, of barrenness. Every single culture has a definition of what it means to be fruitful or what it means to be barren. In this particular story, it's childbearing. But what is it today? What is it in your culture? What is it in your uh, 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 social circle? What do you have to do? Or what do you have to earn? Or what do you have to have? Or what do you have to be in order to not be considered barren? You see, because when, when those things, whatever those things are to you, when those things get into the center of our hearts and they displace Jesus in the center of our hearts, those things can become incredibly harsh taskmasters. Those things can drive us and ultimately will destroy us. They are unforgiving if we don't attain those goals. And even if we are to attain those things that we are so desperately after, we live in fear that we, that we might lose those things. We've been exploring as a connect group the simple question, is Jesus enough? And I want to ask you, is Jesus enough? Or is it success? Or is it money? Or is it status? Or is it who you know? Or what you have? Or what you need to achieve? Anything outside of Jesus in the center of our hearts will destroy us. And the irony, I think, of this whole story is that probably Sarah was more a slave than actually Hagar was. Given the choice between following God and trusting Him or making it happen in order to have a baby, she chose to make it happen. And it exposed the reality of what was in her heart. Jumping on quickly to the reality of Abraham. And I think Abraham, of this entire story, probably makes the biggest mistake. And it's because he's listening to the voice of reason and the voice of logic over the voice of God. 
And it's exactly the same mistake that Adam makes in Genesis chapter 3. When I, can I just make this very clear? I'm not saying it's wrong to listen to our wives. That's not the moral of the story. That's not the teaching that is in Genesis 16 or Genesis 3. The, the mistake that Abraham made was listening to the voice of logic and reasoning. Listening to the voice of self-reliance over God-reliance. And that's when things get dangerous. You see, the, 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 what, what this whole faith journey is teaching us is that there are two possible ways to obtain the blessing. There is Hagar and there is Sarah. Sarah, who appears to be barren. There is the, the promised land, Canaan, which is a, a desert. Or there's Egypt, which appears to be fruitful. And you'll notice, if you've, as you've read with us since, since Genesis 12, this constant reference back to Egypt the whole time. And the reason for that is Genesis was actually written at the time of the Exodus story. Israel had come out of Egypt, and Egypt was fresh in their mind. And so, uh, and so Moses, who's actually writing Genesis, is reminding Israel the whole time that although Egypt looks, looks fruitful and green and the place to go, it is fraught with danger if we choose works over grace. If we choose making it happen over trusting God and waiting for Him to make it happen. And Paul does the exact same thing in, in, in Galatians chapter 4 when he t- reminds us we are not children of Hagar, we are not sons and daughters of works. We are not sons and daughters of self-effort. We are not those who need to uh, kind of uh, push each other out of the way in order to make something happen in God. We are not those who need to be ambitious in God. And by ambitious, I mean trying to make it happen in our own strength. We are children of Sarah, sons and daughters of grace, sons and daughters of God's mercy, sons and daughters of faith, sons and daughters of waiting on God for God to do what he needs to do. Whenever, when I think of what, what, what we're just reading here, I, I, I'm reminded of that scene in, in uh, Exodus where, where God comes before Moses and he says to Moses, Moses, I, 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 present, I, I set before you life and death. And then just in case Moses doesn't choose well, God says, I want you to choose life. And I see God almost standing before us as a, as a church family. And I've, I've seen him stand before me. I've sensed him standing before me. And I, I trust he's standing before us as a church family. And he's saying, church in the city, I'm setting before you grace and works. And in case you're not sure which one you should take, choose grace. Choose the way of grace. Choose the way of rest. Choose the way of peace. Choose the way of trusting me. Choose the way of waiting on me to bring about breakthrough. Quickly, moving on to the last character, the mysterious friend. We've seen the victim, Hagar. We've learned about the perpetrators, uh, uh, Abram and Sarah. And now we're going to look at the hero of the story, which is the mysterious friend. And just to say, um, the reference to the angel of the Lord, this is not like angel Gabriel in, in Luke chapter 1 who appeared before Mary. This is not like the angel who appeared before John in the book of Revelation. Both of, uh, both of those were created angels. You know, when John, the, when John in, in the book of Revelation falls down at the feet of the angel, the angel's almost alarmed. 
And he says, oh my goodness, don't bow down to me, stand up. I'm a created being just like you. The only people, the only one we should be bowing down to is, is God. And, and this is not that angel. This actually is Jesus Christ. This is, this is a pre-incarnate uh, a, a manifestation of the, of the person of Jesus Christ, the angel of the Lord. And in verse 9, Jesus, or the angel of the Lord, asks Hagar to do something that, is, that is, seems so impossible. Look at verse 9. He says to Hagar, he says, go back to your mistress and submit to her. Go back to your mistress and submit to her. He, t- he goes on to tell her that, that he will be with her and, and that he will watch over her and he will make sure that her son is blessed and, and will be multiplied, just, his descendants will be multiplied just like Abraham's. But he's saying to her, listen, it's not time to leave just yet. Don't run away from the place that I need you to be as hard as it is for you to be in that place. And I think sometimes when we read these accounts of, of especially Old Testament stories, we, we are at a bit of a disadvantage because we know the beginning from the end. When we read the story, we've, most of us here have read the story of Genesis 12 through to 22. And so we know the story that, that, that goes where, where, where uh, Hagar eventually goes back and she finds God's grace to, to continue to live in, in Abraham's house. And eventually in Genesis 21, God re- uh, calls her, or she, she gets released to go, and she goes with something of God's favor and protection and presence with her. But she didn't know that when she was told by the angel of the Lord to go back. And I think it illustrates this as such an important point. There are times in our faith journey where God will ask us to do things that don't make natural sense. Sometimes we assume that every decision made in obedience to God will automatically lead to, to blessing as the world defines it. And I want to say, friends, ultimate blessing is God's absolute promise. But just because we say yes to God doesn't always mean natural promotion or natural favor. There are often very lonely and very difficult roads we have to go down until we get to the promise. Philip and Ashley could have literally stood up here and told, spoke for an hour about the challenge after challenge after challenge. But they knew there was an ultimate blessing at the end of the road. Friends, God doesn't give us what we necessarily think we need. God answers prayers that we would pray if we knew what he knows in the moment. God gives us and asks us to do things that we would do and would want to do if we knew exactly what he knows. And what enables Hagar to do this? What enables us to do this? Three quick things and then we finished. We can do this. We can trust him. Because he sees us. He sees us. He sees Hagar. He says in in, in a a verse, uh, Hagar says, sorry, in verse 16, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who who sees me. Sometimes when you're going through a a difficult struggle in in your walk with the Lord, Sometimes you're, you're, you're wrestling through issues or, or finding it hard to, to stay full of faith. If you're anything like me, sometimes all you want is someone just to know. Just to know. Just to know that you've been seen. Just to know that, 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 that someone is watching over you. And, and that someone, it might not be any of us, but that someone is always God. God is watching over you. God is watching over, over whatever struggle you're in right now. 1 Corinthians 10 says, all you need to remember is this, 
that God will never let you down. He will never let you be pushed past your limits. He'll always be there to help you to come through. Not only does God see us, which enables us to have faith in him, but God finds us. Look at, look at, verse, uh, look at verse 7. The angel of the Lord found Hagar. Philip and Ashley found Talia. We all, there is a discovery that takes place. God sees where we're at, and then God finds us. God comes to us in our place of struggle and in our place of weakness. God is not put off by your faith struggles. God is not put off by your inconsistent faith. God comes to you, and he ministers to you in that place. No matter how faithless you might feel, God says that he is always faithful. He never gives up on us. Psalm 139 says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Listen to this, your right hand will hold me fast. God is holding us in this faith journey that we're on as a church family, friends. God is holding you in this faith journey that you're on in this season. He sees, he finds, and then he promises to go with. He promises to go with Hagar. I know this is difficult, he says, but I'm promising to go with you. And I want to say, friends, God might be asking some of you to do difficult things in this season. God might be asking you to do some tough things, and God's promise to you is he will go with you. I've been meditating on Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? The psalmist asks. And just to give some context to that, in those days, there were were altars to foreign gods, altar and Asherah poles that were always built on high places. And so the psalmist is looking up to the hills and he sees the hills that are covered in false worship. And he says, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help doesn't come from those gods. My help comes from the Lord the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you, God watches over you, will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day and the moon nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep watch over you from from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and you're going, both now and forevermore. I want to ask you to close your eyes just for a quick moment, if you wouldn't mind. And then I'm going to hand over to Mark. I want you to just picture yourself. If you can just humor me. Picture yourself as that child walking into the auditorium, about to perform with your classmates. And I want you to sense something of that, maybe excitement, maybe nervousness, that uncertainty of, oh my goodness, I hope my parents are going to see me. I think that describes something of the faith journey that many of us, all of us, some of us are on. The uncertainty, the nervousness, the, the questions, the desire to, be, to know that God sees us. I want you to picture yourself scanning the, the room. 
looking for, for your mom or your dad. And then I want you to, to just experience, just for a moment, that sense of peace and rest that comes when you lock your eyes onto your mom or dad. That sense of, ah, oh, they've seen me. I've been seen, and I can see them. That's exactly what Jesus is inviting us and reminding us today. Just keep your eyes closed if you wouldn't mind. Maybe some of you here are searching to find that sense of peace and that sense of rest. And you've looked everywhere. You are scanning your eyes everywhere. And Jesus is standing up, his arms waving, and he's saying, look to me. Look to me. I'm your rest. I'm your peace. I'm your joy. I'm your hope. Maybe you've never given your heart to Jesus. I want to say today is that day. I trust today is that day. You're saying, I want to know Jesus. I'm tired of looking. I'm tired of searching. I want to know Jesus. I would love to pray with you this morning. If you want to receive Jesus into your heart, if you want to say, Steve, I, I, want, to, I want to stop looking and I want, to, I, I want to look to him and have him be my Lord and Savior. Could I ask you just to lift your hand real quick so that I can pray with you? If anyone is out there this morning that's saying, Steve, I want to know Jesus, just quickly slip up your hand. I'd love to pray with you today. Just as every eye remains closed, most or perhaps all of us here then know what it's like to have received Jesus as our Lord and Savior. But that doesn't stop the looking and the searching and the wrestle that is in our hearts. And some of us are in the midst of faith journeys and some of us are tempt, have been tempted and maybe even gone down that road like I have at times to make things happen in our own strength and to get impatient and to think at times that the promise is actually more important than the one who makes the promise. I want you to imagine that Jesus is standing up in that crowded room, just like at Hannah's concert. And he's waving his arms frantically at you, saying, look to me. Look to me. Psalm 3 says that God is the lifter of our heads. And I feel like today, some of us need our heads lifted. Not in our own strength, but by the beautiful presence of the Holy Spirit. For us to look to him, to know that he sees us, he sees you, and because he sees you, you have seen him. And so if that's you, would you just receive this morning? Father, thank you for those who are looking to you saying, God, I want to know that rest, that peace, that sense of being settled in my heart. I don't have all the answers. Lord, we don't have all the answers, but we know you do. And so we look to you. Holy Spirit, would you come and gently lift our heads to you? Let's pray for a release right now of your peace, In the midst of these faith journeys, your peace, your rest, your presence, 
In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Mark.